0: Hey, gentlemen. Good to see ya. You too, man. Good to see y'all. Ryan, how are you? Doing all right. I'm here. I'm here. We're here. Yeah, <laughs> and we've got a we got a special guest today. Um, yeah. Let's introduce him. My my really good friend, Justin Miles. Justin, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm good today, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to be here and <clears throat> having a good day. Uh, had a had a good day of uh, therapy appointments today. Nice. That's, I'm glad to be nice. here. That's
0: the most of my morning. Nice. Well, let's. You know, I want to give uh, our audience just a little bit of background. So, you and I have known each other for um, geez years. I mean, you for were literally one of the first people that um, when I first started working here in 2003, uh, you were one of the first people that um, that I communicated with because my, my first job working for Ken was basically as a, as a like a He had a batch of 30,000 emails that had just accumulated over the years that he wanted me to filter through and find, you know, the interesting emails and yours floated right to the top. Uh, You had, you had, uh, you had written into Ken and talked about uh, a lot of the projects that you were doing with Hip Hop Alive. Um, You were doing uh, a lot of work around talking about sort of uh, uh, how emceeing can be a, a spiritual practice. How freestyle rap can be a spiritual practice. And it was really, really powerful stuff. And this was at a time when I was really into hip hop and really getting into DJing in a big way. So I really resonated with your work. And I wrote out to you and you and I connected. And man, we've been we've been pretty tight ever since. Yeah, man. Yeah. So why don't you let us know sort of what you do?
1: Yeah, I'm a um I guess right now I'm I'm a psychotherapist in private practice. Um I've been in the field of um, community and clinical mental health for the last 20 years this is my 21st year um in the field and um so that's what i do uh full-time uh my private practice is called the miles institute of integral living named after integral um highly highly influenced by integral and um yeah that's what i do for for uh for, for money, but uh, <laughs> that's <your> day <laughs> job. It, 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 my day job. So I do it to be a benefit. Um, I also, uh, I teach Buddhism here, do um, the Baltimore Shambhala center. Uh, and I'm a meditation instructor there. Um, I also, um, run a group It's called the black power meditation group. And, um, that's a group that was, um, spawned around the time of, <clears throat> the Freddie Gray uprising in Baltimore. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was trying to process what to do with, you know, anger and just all the feelings around um, his his death and just kind of police brutality in general. And so I wrote a piece called Meditation for Militants. And um, the group was kind of born out of that, as, um, you know, trying to <clears throat> use wisdom as the backbone of. Um, of any movement, of any organization, of any movement that um, that we're going to engage in, and beginning to look at um, ego as one of the things that tends to tear down movements, or at mm-hmm. least um, hinder movements from, from progressing. At least, you know, looking back in the last over the last hundred years, in terms of um, um, black movements, whether it's the the Garvey movement or the um, civil rights movement, the Black Power movement um you know really taking a a different look at what made those movements successful and what made them um unsuccessful uh so yeah the black power meditation group uh we do that and uh i don't know what else do i do Um, i do some hip-hop stuff i have a have a hip-hop label with uh, some friends of mine called mystery sound recordings and um you know, we make very, um, you know, we make traditional kind of boom bap hip hop, um, but we also are about not really claiming any particular style. So we're really into kind of exploration of sound um, and um, kind of curating sounds from around the world, um, helping people to have access to kind of things that are either unfamiliar to them or kind of pull them into a, a mindset where they don't really know what they're listening to anymore, you know, kind of a um, a groundlessness through music. Um, other than that, I'm a dad. I'm a single dad. And uh, I'm a master gardener. I garden. Nice. And uh, that's about it. I do some more stuff, but that's that's enough. That's a lot. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah that's a lot. Um, well, you can see why we're excited to, to have you here today. And we should mention, Justin, that the actual intro music to this show, To Inhabit, was you you made that
1: oh that's right right. yeah
0: (laughs) thanks for that that's That's right right. yeah like i'm i'm just now connecting the dots
2: that's awesome yeah i love the track
1: yeah thanks man thanks thanks well you can one more thing i want to mention one more thing i want to mention is that i um in 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 alignment with um this show is that um i'm a member of the baltimore black panther party um joined the Black Panther Party, the original Black Panther Party, not the new Black Panther Party, um, mm. back in 1998, um, because even after the um, the headquarters in, uh, in Oakland kind of disbanded and other cities started to disband <clears throat> in the early and uh, mid 70s, other cities kept the party going. And Baltimore is one of those cities that kept the mm. party going. Mm-hmm. And um, that's always been a big part of um, just what what I bring to my work, um, my approach towards um, being a benefit to um, Black people. And it also, of course, you know, there's, it, it also brings up some struggle, you know, because <clears throat> there's that side of the Black Panther Party that's, that's seemingly very um, kind of militaristic or um, mm-hmm. revolutionary. And then... You know, you brought this up a little bit a little while ago. how does that blend with, you know, being a Buddhist and being a psychotherapist? And
0: that's right. Um,
1: but being a Black Panther is um, is a very big, is a very important and big piece um, in my life and in terms of who I am.
0: Well, that's that's why we wanted to have you on with us today for this particular show, Justin. Is because it, exactly right. You were standing in the confluence of some mm. really, really powerful traditions and lineages. Uh, shambhala buddhism psychotherapy black panthers and it seems like you know from an outside point of view it seems like some of the sort of uh you know some of the elements of those of those traditions probably run against each other every now and again and i'm going to be really interested in in hearing how you reconcile that um as a buddhist looking at sort of uh you know protest culture which Uh, can sometimes go violent. We can have a conversation about when violence is and isn't appropriate in in protest culture. Um, But this is one of the big reasons we wanted to have you on with us today because, you know, what we're going to be talking about today is exactly that. It's going to be about inhabiting your resistance. And it's kind of a funny topic. And Ryan, I want to hear what you have to say about this. It's a bit of a funny topic because usually in spiritual conversations and in our spiritual practice and spiritual training, you know, so much of the emphasis is on how to, you know, like overcome resistance and how to accept reality as it is exactly as it is. So there's sort of this radical equanimity that spiritual practice is often sort of orienting us towards. And yet we know that, you know, sometimes overcoming our resistance is not the appropriate response. Actually inhabiting our resistance is a more appropriate response. Sometimes we don't want the water to go around us. You know what I mean? Sometimes we actually are, 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 are need to actually show up in a fully embodied way in order to make some kind of social impact and transform the world in the direction that we want to see it transform. And I think that's what we're seeing around us right now uh, so that's that's kind of the conversation I'm hoping to have with you guys, is sort of like how do we create that connective tissue between sort of the the the, the amazing wisdom of these traditions, which are often you know trying to guide us towards more nonviolent kind of forms of engagement, um, versus that just a radical urgency that we're seeing today, where like, no, we're 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 seeing systems that have to change that have to transform, and they 're only going to transform if we the people are able to actually show up in a, in a, in a much more dramatic way than we 've been able to in in previous generations um, so how do we how do we reconcile those what 's the difference between uh, overcoming our resistances versus actually really rooting down and in, in, inhabiting them
1: The first thing that comes up for me is. Um, you know, seeing these these teachings, is whatever your spiritual tradition is, as, you know, being rooted in humanity. You know, um, that if the teachings aren't um, pushing us towards um, challenging our view of ourselves, challenging our view of, uh, of other, challenging our view of fundamental reality itself, um, Within the context of, you know, humanity and all sentient beings, all sentient beings and all non-sentient beings, having a meaningful, happy, dignified quality of life, um, then I think that they're kind of steering us in the wrong direction. I think it's easy to get caught up in, <clears throat> you know, the the idea that, you know, my spiritual practice is supposed to be making me. Um, you know, somehow, um, you know, more resistant to having to, um, you know, we talk about violence or, you know, um, uh, uh, standing up against oppression, that we're just supposed to accept things as they are. Mm -hmm. But I think there's kind of an absolute and a a relative of that, you know, the two true doctrine, I think holds true that, um, yes, these teachings are supposed to be pushing us towards um, some some experience of reality as it is on an absolute level. I think that that's true, Um, but relatively speaking, um, it's supposed to be pushing us towards the reality of our everyday lives, that there is systematic oppression, there is racism, there is sexism, you know, there is a need to, um, uh, to address all these inequalities that we see, and so you know, I would say that, you know, allowing your spiritual practice your um, and, and your study um, to not just push you in that direction of, you know, just, you know, seeing everything as, as empty, you know, but, you know, seeing the fullness amongst the emptiness, you know, seeing the, you know, seeing that um, this world that shows up for us, you know, needs our attention and we need to be okay with um, not just accepting the reality of it, but moving towards helping Helping our relative world um, ha- move in a direction of kind of a, a healthier reality for for all of us. Mm-hmm. You know um, that the truth is is that things don't have to be this way. You know things don't have to be this way. There's enough resources. There's enough to share. You know um, um, we don't have to be enemies. Um, race is an illusion. Um we don't we don't have to create our energy um by poisoning the planet. Um there's <clears throat> you know so there's there's greater relative realities um for us to accept um and that our spiritual traditions are supposed to be cultivating confidence and bravery um and, and standing up in the, the face of those things. Um and in my my view that it kind of has to go beyond this idea of right or wrong, you know, it has to go beyond, you know, just, you know, you know, should I do that? No, it's not right. No, it has to say, it has to go, has to go beyond right or wrong to the view of what's real, you know, what's most real, you know, do people deserve healthcare? Yes. You know, do, do, do all people deserve um, a a quality education? Yes. Do all people deserve to live in um, kind of a, healthy environment. Yes, you know, we all do. Um, And I think we get caught up in, you know, trying to not, um, you know, trying to adhere so much to the absolute aspects of these teachings that we lose sight of, you know, the relative work that needs to be done.
0: Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I often like the metaphor that, uh, you know, the story of the Buddha is the story of a man who sat and sat and sat and sat until one day he stood up. Yep, and I think that's that's mm. what we're talking. Ryan, it also reminds yeah. me of of the conversation, the ongoing metaphor that we often use of that damn mountain. Yeah, yeah right. right? Um, at first, the mountain is a mountain. Uh, the racism is racism. Inequality is inequality, right? And then the mountain is not a mountain. These things are just resistances for us to overcome and to find our deeper equanimity and our always already <laughs> perfection. But that third stage, the fucking mountain becomes a mountain again. Racism is racism again. Inequality is inequality again, and it demands us to bring our liberated, enlightened consciousness—whatever trickle of enlightenment that we've been able to cultivate ourselves. It demands for us to apply that spiritual intelligence to our moral intelligence. Um, yeah, it was well said, Justin. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you, Justin, for that. A few things came for me. Um, you know. Some of the earlier teachings of Buddhism pointed to escaping samsara. That was the goal. It's just like, how can I get out of this existence? How can I get out of this body? Like, this is bullshit. I'm out of here. So, okay. If that's the, if we theorize that was possible, like the only way that's really possible these days is if you're an absolute cave dweller and you're just sitting in a crappy cave and you're eating whatever bug comes along, okay, maybe maybe a person lives in alignment with this idea that like, listen, I don't like being here and I would, I'm just here until I clock out and I'm going to rainbow body out of here. Okay. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, here's, I want to tie this to the ground level. It's like, I do think it is important for for me. Like the more that I can let go of attachment, I can apply that openness to all things in life, to what's going on actually in the world to like feel it all more. But if somebody is resistant in a negative way to this idea of embracing the world, the fact is, I'm going to give an example. I've been pulled over by the police three times in my life. Two times they let me go. One time I was blazing 85 miles an hour. The guy was like, he was a big, burly dude, super nice. He got me out of the car and sat me in the front seat next to him, just chitty chatting away.
0: Justin, so, I'm, sure, this, I'm sure
2: you've had experiences like that, right, Justin? Yeah.
1: Every single time. Yeah.
2: So. <laughs> so here this is yeah right and then my (laughs) uncle eddie who's black has told me so many times about how he's learned how to drive while being black so here's the thing okay yeah we're all illusions but this illusion here seems to like get off you know like not have to pay part as speeding tickets that's a pattern existence that happens so to me that's the difference it's like so long as you are participating in this pattern existence of reality you're more or less going to experience privilege or not privilege so like that is a thing that's happening so unless you're going to hang out in a cave and try to try to eliminate all possibility of you benefiting from this interconnected existence then shit happens and you got to pay attention to it and acknowledge it you can't be just driving around like me and be like it's all an illusion yeah, yeah okay yeah.
0: <laughs> partially true
2: but right not fully yeah right.
0: well another question i had for you guys um because it comes up a lot Uh, Because we are seeing with this eruption of protests, I mean, I think we've seen in, in the long history of protests, there's always a fringe of, you know, really disruptive violence that often occurs sort of in the margins. I think this has been true for every major protest that we've had really in the history of this country. And some of them become more violent and some of them are less violent. And I'm thinking maybe we can have a conversation about what exactly is the role of violence When it comes to resistance and obviously there's a whole spectrum of violence that we can talk about right that goes everywhere from physical assault on a human being which i don't think anyone is going to advocate versus something like property damage versus something like we saw i can't remember the name of the monk's name but the famous monk who burned himself while in a deep meditative state in protest that's a form of violence it's a self-directed violence it's the ultimate form of self-directed violence, but it was violence that was used in order to uh to resist, to to create a field of resistance and to make a difference and to make an impact. So obviously, in our long, even just the American tradition of protest, I mean, let's look at sort of the the, the, the very first protest that defined this this country, the Boston Tea Party. That was a violent protest. That was property damage, right? That's how that's how this country literally came into its inception and uh, made its break from the British Empire was through a violent protest. So clearly there is a role of violence here. And yet, you know, oftentimes the talking heads around this, you know, we, we as Americans get very uncomfortable with violence, particularly because we saw how successful nonviolent resistance can be. We saw that in the 1960s with the civil rights movements. Now, again, I don't want to be too glib because there was violence alongside that. I mean, after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, there were public riots and something like six weeks later, uh, the civil rights bill was passed. Right? I, I think I have my timeline right on that. Um, So it's, you know, clearly violence plays a role here. And I wanted to read, uh, if you guys don't mind, uh, a a passage from Ken Wilber about this, um, because I think it speaks to uh, what we're seeing right now. And this was from a piece he wrote, geez, almost 20 years ago, uh, called The Deconstruction of the World Trade Center. Um, So he writes, the one thing that worries me is that when green slips into its more, shall we say, platitudinous side, the hypersensitive over-the-top caring side, a response that's already circulating Martin Luther King's statement, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. In fact, violence only increases hate. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that, unquote. But you see, says Ken, That statement is wrong on almost every count. In this case, I believe his heart was clouding his head. Real violence is almost always ended by stronger violence in saner hands. I'm going to read that again because that's an important one. Real violence is almost always ended by stronger violence in saner hands. When you meet a Hitler in this world, the correct, noble, ethical, spiritual response is get a gun and blow his brains out. We ended Auschwitz not with love, carrying dialogue, sensitivity training, and sweet thoughts, but with superior firepower, period. So it is with real violence in the real world. Much of it stems from red, and red can only be forcefully contained until it develops its own internal blue constraints. Now he would say amber. Civilization, for the most part, does not produce barbarism, but curbs it green's basic problem is that the injunction to not have violence in your heart is confused with not using violence in the real world at which point green begins to contribute to the problem not the solution this is yet another variation on the sad fact that green and without doubt the mean green meme and boomeritis have been complicit in the rise of insurrectionist violence around the world of course we should not harbor hate in our hearts and of course when you meet nazis you should kill them real hard. Holy shit. <laughs> it's like Ken throwing down the gauntlet. Now, of course, um, you can't just kind of read this quote in a, in, a, in, a, in a vacuum because we live in a culture where everyone calls everyone that they disagree with a Nazi. And I don't think Ken is advocating violence against people you disagree with. Um, that said, there are real regressive ideas and ideologies that are very active in this world and uh, I think Ken is actually saying no when you see that when you see that level of systemic oppression and abuse and violence you got to stand up you got to push against it you got to shoot it in the head so how does that apply to the protest culture that we're seeing right now because my sense guys is that there are people who are standing on sort of either side of this conflict and they believe that they are The stronger violence in saner hands, right? So the conservatives believe they look out and they see looters and people they describe as thugs who are, you know, inflicting property damage, damaging the black, you know, these actual black neighborhoods. And they see the police force, sure, there's some, you know, they're being pretty brutal, but that's a saner violence, that's a stronger violence in saner hands whereas i think that a lot of people on the left would actually look at the violence coming out of the protest movement and say no that is the saner violence the police sure. brutality is what we need to end and we're doing this violence in as a as a means to an end here sure how do we <laughs> how do we sort that out i mean two quick things one is that it might
2: be a, a limitation of perception to understand the immense violence of police brutality, because it's not happening in one location contained within walls where people could witness it in its fullness. It's spread out. That's the difficulty. It's, it happens every day. And only if we catch it on a YouTube video that gets viral, whereas a protest, we can say, oh, that protest happened right there and that building specifically is destroyed. So for me, sometimes it's a that's an illusion of perception that mm. that one is actually creating more violence than the other it's like no and then if that's true then we can say a comparison like which is a greater uh, violence but for me like i've been focused on the question why is it happening Uh, secondarily should it happen because we skip past a why like and that's so important like why is this happening this isn't just randomly happening people aren't just like hey let's just go burn some shit down that's right if we can understand the why at least that's important then we can discuss what's the strategy around it so that for me, I just bookmarked that before I even dis- discuss anything else that's what's important to me.
0: That's a good question why 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 would someone get pushed to the point where they can dam for example damage property in their own in their own neighborhood um, what level of 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 rage produces that kind of that kind of behavior um, yeah, Justin, do you have any insight there yeah, I mean. So what comes up for me is who's
1: defining sanity, right? saner hands. Um, who's defining violence, and who who legitimizes violence, mm. right? Um, especially in a in a in a society um, that's built on inequality, you know. Um, mm. You know, and mm. one on one hand, you know, you people see black people, you know, burning seemingly burning down their neighborhoods and businesses in their own neighborhoods. Um, but as I can't remember the one sister's name, um, you know, the, the video of hers going around, um, John Oliver showed it at the last, at the end of his last show. Um, but, you know, paraphrasing what she said, um, you know, we don't own shit. Like you think that we're burning down our own shit. We don't own shit, you know, (laughs) um, and that, uh, you know, the social contract that uh, America has allegedly made with its citizens that said it was going to, you know, treat everyone as equals and, you know, and take care of them. Um, that was broken the moment they wrote it with black people, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, what are we called to respect? You know, what are we, you know, like, wh- how are we, how are we held to a standard of, you know, of not being angry to the point of wanting to burn the shit down to the ground? Um, and I'm not, you know, again, I can't sanction all forms of violence. And clearly, there's a, as you said, there's a, there's a spectrum of, of violence. Um, but I think a lot of it, you know, at least for, for black people is um, unrecognized historical violence against black people. And now, not, not just police brutality. This is just what's going on right now, what we're talking about right now. But I could say, <clears throat> you know, the, the legacy of, Um, of white people and their behavior towards black people in this country um, has been um, uh, uh, I can't say it's been solely one of violence but it's been a a lot of of violence you know Um, and how much of um, underfunding of school districts or school systems is violence how much of of poor ecology is violence Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know uh, uh, how much is mass uh, uh, mass incarceration and removal of Black men from families, how much is that violence? How much is flooding the streets with drugs, violence? Um, I can go on and go on, but I can say that America has um, ignored that mostly and said, you know, calm down and just, you know, just, you know you, we, we let you go to the bathroom next to us. We let you live next door to us. We gave you some government jobs, so shut up and be happy <clears throat> with it. And what I think white America doesn't know is that um, that doesn't go away for us, you know, like it's the generational trauma. Some people believe in, you know, even kind of trauma being passed down genetically, you know, that, you know, we we know ourselves to be second class people. You know, it's not a it's not an illusion for us. We're not confused about that. Even those of us that have quote unquote made it, you know, most of, most of them are, are sports stars or or, or entertainers. um, But even they know it as well, you know, that, you know, you'll accept us dancing, you'll accept us scoring touchdowns for you and slamming basketballs for you. But the truth of the matter is, you don't see me as equally human, you know, and there's a violence in that. Um, And there's a historical violence in ignoring In the ignoring of that, and so, you know, I question, um, you know, uh, anyone being able to say that, you know, that that violence is um, is somehow uh, undeserved, especially when the systems that create said violence show no sign of really wanting to end it. Mm -hmm. You know, they soften their blows. The it'll get seemingly, you know, there's (laughs) compassionate conservatism, whatever, (laughs) whatever that is. (laughs) You know. (laughs) It, it, you know, they'll, they'll hand out trinkets, they'll give out promises, platitudes, placations, and, um, but the truth of the matter is it doesn't really stop, you know, and um, at a certain point yet yeah, per se, when is it just to just admit that, you know, there's not going to be any real accountability on America's part, not just for the, the George Floyds, um, but for the, you know, Thirteen to a hundred million George Floyd's who were killed in the in the transatlantic slave trade, you know, and who were brought to the Americas. You know, when is there going to be accountability <clears throat> for for any for any of it for <laughs> for for any for any of the overt and and covert um, uh, racism? Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I I, I question um, if. Um, if black people in particular um, but just even 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 white people you know, there's talk about you know antifa is now a terrorist organization you know um, but i you know I, I question who gets to legitimize violence when these systems clearly legitimize their own forms of violence and they get nothing brought to them you know, um, they get supplicated, they get asked to change, please do something different, please do something different, please do something different. But the truth of the matter is, you know, there are systems of violence that are hurting, you know, all of humanity, you know, that are poisoning all of humanity, you know, and at what point, you know, does the, the act of violence um, serve as an extension of my love and my care and my concern for humanity, knowing that these systems, they don't stop. I don't care what, you, what we say, you can vote, you can, you can do whatever you want to, you know, but the change is slow, but the violence is pervasive. It stays, you know, moving throughout, you know, all of our communities is not just a, a black problem. Um, it, it stays. And so at a certain point, we have to say, you know, as you said, in saner hands, we have to define what sanity means yeah. for us. And we have to say, okay, well, well, some shit is just insane. Some shit has to stop. It's only going to stop in the face of of power, of, of actual direct confrontation. Other than that, it's just going to try and make you feel good, you know, assuage, you, assuage your feelings, and um, and hopefully get back to some sort of new normal. You
0: know? mm-hmm. it's beautifully said. You know, as you were talking, Justin, I had this mental image of someone who's like walking around for fifty years with a knife in his back right mm-hmm. just the the accumulated trauma of of violence that's been inflicted to him often in insidious ways where that knife is just slowly getting pushed in a little bit deeper you know as you go and now that you're trying to pull the knife out of your back you're being accused of being violent because pulling a knife out is just as violent of an act as pushing it in right i mean you know that's that's kind of the mental yeah. image i'm getting right now um sure. yeah
1: it's especially violent in the face of the person that shoved it in there. That's you know? right.
0: <laughs> That's and right. again, getting legitimizing
1: violence is like, well, you know, you shoved it in. You know, you excuse me, can't blame me for for, right. for pulling it out and you know and flashing it in your face. Right. You know, but the truth of the matter is, is that for the most part, that hasn't been what black people have done. You know black people haven't sought revenge on, on massive scales you know there's been slave uprisings and there should have been <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there have been, been you know mm. protests and you know the burning of, of communities and, and property um, but it's like uh, you know what what other language do you t- do you seem to hear right. you know you speak in war and violence around the world you speak yeah. in violence here in this country yeah. it seems to be the language you speak in You know, Mm -hmm. so let me speak your language for a second. Maybe you'll listen this time,
0: you know. It's an important point, Justin, because I I, I do think there is sort of, um, you know, when it comes to accepting reality, which, again, is sort of one of the wisdoms of of our spiritual training. Part of the reality that I think we need to accept is that American culture is a very martial culture. We always have. been, And I think the left has been largely in denial of how martial of a culture we are to our own to our own detriment. Um, and I think that actually kind of leading with this, like this is, you know, this is how you have to speak to a martial culture. This is how you have to speak when a, an entire police force, this is, this is an issue I want to get into with you guys, when an entire police force has been militarized, what are the consequences of that for the people? I mean, I think that's a, con- that's a conversation where we actually can have a legitimate, hey guys, you know what, all lives matter, right? We can actually have that kind of conversation without deflecting from the points that are being made by Black Lives Matter. I mean, in fact, I feel like it's a logical extension of Black Lives Matter that, you know, this is a point that we, we talked about this weekend in our show, that um, when you have a militarization of a police force, you know, the whole reason why you have a military is to protect us from them. And that them is, you know, everyone outside of our country who wants to damage our country. So the military is here for, you know, to protect us from them. When you militarize the police force, the police is, are here to protect us from us that's why it requires completely different strategies. You don't see a soldier in the front line, you know, training and de-escalation techniques, for example. You don't de-escalate when you're on the front line, but we teach our, we're supposed to be teaching our police officers to de-escalate because we're protecting us from us. And when when you militarize the police force, you're turning us into them, right? And obviously the black community is going to be on the front lines of that war, right? And we're seeing, I think, the casualties from that. But we also know this is the issue that is affecting, every I mean, all ethnicities are being affected by the militarization of police. Hispanic communities are being affected, white communities are being affected, less so than many of the other ones, but still. Uh, Even Asian communities are being affected by this, less than even white people, but still. Um, so this is, you know, uh, this is this is one of those things where when we're seeing this eruption of protests that we're that, that we're seeing these days, it's tempting to try to find one sort of systemic cause, when actually I think we can look and be like, wow, this is like a perfect storm of like seven or eight dysfunctional systems rubbing against each other and resulting in this what I see as righteous fury um, to try to get you know to try to do something new for fucking once in a generation. I want to read this uh, comment that just came up with respect two white guys are dominating the conversation. This mirrors our (laughs) culture at large. Catherine, honestly, thank you. Because, um, you know, that, that is something I, uh, when I get anxious, I talk a lot. Um, And obviously my job is to, is to try to shine a spotlight onto onto whoever it is I happen to be talking, but um, that is something I'm always trying to be mindful of.
1: Um, and I just want to say, Catherine, when when I get anxious, I shut up. So
0: <laughs> I try and fade
1: into the background. Um, one thing I do want to say, uh, Corey, in terms of um, uh, what what you last said, is that um, in terms of you know the military uh, being designed to seemingly um, protect us from them, mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is is that America has always turned anyone else that wasn't white in this country into them. So Mm. the military was called out for Native Americans, right? The military has been called out on Mm. black people, military interned Japanese people, you know, so, you know, so, you know, the, the idea of the military seemingly be being, you know, just about them. When you Mm. look out there and you say, well, who are the thems that the military goes against it's primarily been brown people it's That's primarily right. been been black people That's you right. know I mean we talk about you know uh, World War II and America likes to you know um, you know likes to pat itself on the back but everyone knows they jumped in the war late everyone knows that they denied <laughs> they denied Jews entry into the country and hopefully everyone knows um, Russia won that war but um, <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is America has always turned, um, the other, you know, turn anyone that was other than white into the other.
0: That's right. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a huge, because those are sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, case studies, right? I mean, I think anyone with, uh, orange values, universal values and up, is able to look at those history lessons and be like, yeah, that was so obviously fucked up, right? right? And the question is, are we able to learn from that history now? Because I, because I'm seeing us repeating the exact same patterns um, sure. once again.
2: Yeah.
0: No, it's yeah. really and important.
2: Justin,
0: a few things you said that for me are really powerful
2: and like feels like to underline is like who is, who is assessing all these situations and making decisions on what is sane and what is legitimate what's not what is what can be violent or not because yeah when we talk about military we're yeah we are a culture of violence in a lot of ways and we can look at military overseas and we can say yeah well sometimes we have to look at a situation and take casualties and everything like that and maybe we're going to bomb civilians but it's it's for a greater cause because we're we're stopping a greater violence so in that context it seems like we're okay with that you know we in quotes Mm -hmm. you know um but when we when we turn that lens around, it's to ourselves and our own violence and our own culture. It doesn't seem like we go, that we don't even allow that process. It's just, and it seems like just to sweep it away, it doesn't sound like an actual in-depth analysis of the violence that's happening in our culture. And I, I just think it's so hard for, for white folks, for us to fathom the immense violence that has been perpetrated over the years. I just watched Just Mercy the other day that just one instance is just one instance was overwhelmingly heartbreaking. And that's just one mm-hmm. out of a just sea of, of suffering. So I just want to keep underscoring that kind of thing. It's, it's even if we talk about violence, like if we say, well, if there's enough violence, we'll justify it. There's enough violence that's that has occurred in our culture to, to more than justify these protests for me. anyways. It. And I think for a lot
1: of, Black people, and probably you
2: know, I can't speak
1: for any group uh, as a whole, but, you know, the question often, I think, arises for some of us that, um, why isn't, you know, why hasn't your own violence been um, enough for you to, you know, to do something yeah. about it? You know, why haven't you, you know, what keeps you from seeing yourself? You know, what mm. keeps you from, what keeps you in that shadow, you know? Mm. Um um, because, you you know, you, we we hang our hopes sometimes on um, presidents or other elected officials. And, you know, I remember there was a the whole I can't remember who it was. It may have been during the Clinton era where there was this push to get America to apologize for for slavery um, or, or the mistreatment of, of black people um, over the last 400 years. And I don't think it happened. I'm trying to remember, but I don't I don't think it really happened. But. You know, there's this question of like, you know, the, you know, where does the the shamelessness and heartlessness um, come from? You know, you're you're very easy to look, you're very easily able to look outside of the country and say, oh, well, that's wrong over there. You know, we should go and drop some bombs over there or you definitely do it in your own uh, geopolitical interest because that's primarily what America has done. Um, mm-hmm. But I, the question is, how much harm has to be visited um, upon um, brown and black and red people in this country in order for um, not just the powers that be, but for the white populace, the majority mm-hmm. white population, to say this shit is wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, this shit is wrong. And I, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely full of heart with um, uh, seeing. Um, the amount of white people that have shown up to these protests mm. around the world in countries that you wouldn't, you wouldn't have even thought would have, you know, um, uh, uh, protested um, uh, against what happened with uh, George Floyd. Mitt Romney um, was out there. Mitt Romney was out there, you know? Yeah. Mitt, Mitts. Yeah. He, you know, and again, I, I don't want, I don't mean to question Mitt's, question Mitt's heart, but you know, he's, uh, you know, you saw what he did in the, you know, in, in the, uh, uh, what you call it, the um, impeachment mm-hmm. uh, uh, hearings. And mm-hmm. um, it's like, a, you know, seemingly Mitt is, you know, waking up to his own heart, or at the very least, you know, not towing the same old Republican Party line. But, um, you know, it makes me feel good that um, there have been some, I've seen so many white people out there protesting. Um, it makes me feel good that I've been contacted by Um, So many white people that are asking me, how can I be a good ally? How can I support? You know, how do I not, you know, how do I not say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing? And um, being able to, to have these conversations, which I really think is helpful. My own personal opinion is that um, it's white people's job to stop racism. It's not black people's job. Um, but I, but I don't mind being in the position of helping to get you there, point you in a direction of saying, look, if you want to wake up, here's some, here's some stuff to wake up to, you know? Um, um, but I, it, it, it makes me, it makes me feel good to know that at the very least the energy seems like, um, White America is waking up to itself. I just question the extent it's to which it's willing to go. To again, going back to the idea of violence, you know, is White America willing to violently stand up for other people that have been violently, you know, been been aggressed upon, you know, in in this country? And and I don't know, you know, that kind of harkens back to uh, the Civil War, you know, seemingly the Civil War, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I. I, I, I question that, but it, it does it does feel good to see that, you know, maybe there is there is something about um what happened with, with George Floyd and um hopefully connecting that with um you know these these other violent systems that are violent against white mm-hmm. people as well that says, you know, we all need to kind of stand up for each other now. That it mm-hmm. can't just be just can't mm-hmm. just be us uh, standing up for particular things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that kind of bridges into a, a, a couple of questions I was hoping to ask in this program, which is basically, um, what is ours to do? I mean, that's that's sort of the a favorite question in this in this show. What is ours to do? And what I mean by that is, um, what is here for the Black community to do? What is here for the White community to do? And what is here for us to do together? Um, because I, you know, you mentioned Justin earlier, um, sort of the transgenerational trauma that gets reinflicted, right? And, and sure. inherited from generation to generation. Now that sure. trauma, I just want to be clear, that trauma occurs for everyone who was, who was part of the original trauma. So black communities feel that trauma, white communities also feel that trauma. And the fact that we've not been able to heal this trauma together in any meaningful way has added to this culture of resentment from, from where I'm standing. On the white side, I think it has nurtured a culture of white guilt, right? Where white people just don't know what... And you see this a lot in woke culture, for example, and people who really want to get offended on the behalf of other people, right? And that's always something we got to kind of watch out for because you, you don't want patronizing support. You want legitimate, embodied, mindful support. Um, and then on and the other side, oftentimes we've seen a culture of resentment uh, among black Americans, which fucking obviously... Um, And the fact that we have been largely isolating ourselves to try to recover from this shared trauma has left us where it's left us, right? And then we had decades of political correctness that actually prevented us from having more meaningful conversations together. So one of the things I'm grateful for in our era is it feels like that scab has been kind of violently ripped off. Thanks, Trump, right? I mean, in a non-ironic way, kind of thanks, Trump just for bringing this all to the surface so that we can actually start, I think, metabolizing it for the first time in sort of full, full, in a full hearted way since the 1960s. Uh, and I see that as good, the fact that we can have conversations like, like this. So Justin, from your point of view, I'm just like, how can white people be supportive? What's the best way that, that we can be supportive? And what is the work that we have to do together as common Americans, as human beings, not as white Americans and black Americans.
1: Sure. Um, so the first the first question is, what do I think that white people need to do?
0: Yeah. What do we need to do besides end racism?
1: Yeah, besides racism.
0: <laughs> Which I would you know, Yeah, like, that'd be a yeah. good start. <laughs> you find that button.
1: You know, and it's funny because, you know, it's like racism isn't a thing, right? It's not a, it's not solid. You can't, can't, can't touch it. Can't, you know, if we could, we could just go in and surgically remove it, you know, or bomb the shit out of it, but we can't, you know? Um, and so, you know, it's, it, again, it's kind of starting within yourselves. Right. Um, I've been talking to uh, a few white people this last week who've asked me that similar, similar question. And my answer has been, um, education. Um, uh in particular um around history around policy um reading about the experiences of black people Mm -hmm. in this country um uh reading about um kind of america's legacy of you know violence abroad um and just trying to feel honestly it's about feeling feeling into um um Really, first feeling into themselves, right? Kind of questioning their own um, um, their own idea around whiteness, around their conditioning. You know, it could even be um, therapy. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) going and talk going and talking to someone about your self concept and your your identity and how you see yourself, but some some sense of challenging yourself first. uh, and then starting to again to educate yourself about um, about other people, about other races, um, in a way that genuinely allows you to kind of feel into their their experience. Um, uh, to I told uh, you know one of the people I talked to this week, um, a woman, um, that you know we black people know. of, stories like, you know, during slavery, they would um, cut open a pregnant woman's stomach and let the baby fall out and step on its head, right? Shit like that, right? So when you Definitely. hear that, you're like, well, it's completely horrific and, and grotesque. But as a black person, you're like, someone someone um, not just did that, that wasn't just a, a single incident. Like that's the way that our people were treated for hundreds of years, hundreds of hundreds of years. And even after that, we're still treated that treated like that, you know, throughout the um, uh, late 1800s, and all throughout the early 1900s. There have been lynching, I mean, there's lynchings that still go on. But, you know, lynching was a popular thing, you know, up until like the, the 60s, really, you know, and so, you know, when you begin to feel into what a people who know, that there's a, there's a country in a, a large section of the country that not only is willing to, um, to, to treat us like that, um, but to do it again, you know, to, to continue it, you know, um, that what must that feel like, you know, what kind of terror must, must that bring up? um you know what what kind of feelings of safety must that bring up or dis- or distrustfulness must that bring up um and again forming uh alliances you know I'm, I'm all for alliances you know i'm all for like i you know i don't just um you know i'm i'm, I'm not a a staunch like segregationist like I just won't don't want to talk to <laughs> I don't I won't talk to any white people I don't I don't mess with any white people um, I think it's important for us to have like open and honest um, conversations um, uh, and um, you know we can just we can again we can have a, an exchange of ideas and um, you know come up with um, viable solutions to um, how white people can support um, black efforts. Um, your your second question was how do we do this together? I think I already kind of went in that direction, though. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, that we need to for all of us to do this together. We need to rec- we need to recognize the thread of continuity that runs through all of our issues—black and white, and red and yellow and brown—and um, again, that's our shared humanity, and that <clears throat> and that. Um, our our issues are not as separate as they would seem, especially the ones that um, um, the one that the ones that impact all of us uh, equally. Again, I'm talking about education, healthcare, climate change, but even right there, even racism, you know, it it impacts all of us. Um, education impacts all of us, um, and so we need to take kind of a very um, militant stance towards saying um, nobody is going to be treated this way. Nobody we're not allowing anyone to be treated this way. All mm. people need to say that. And if there are actors who would, you know, stand in the way of that, um, then those people are the ones that need to be fought. You know, there's not and they, I, I'm really uncompromising about that. I'm really serious about taking a very uncompromising um Stance about that because you can't leave it any room. You can't leave it any wiggle room. You can't see the left is just the opposite of the right because it's not. You know, we need to say, okay, well, what's good for, you know, the the greater good. You know, um, the greater the greatest depth and the greatest span. You know, what can we, you know, what what's beneficial to the whole and what isn't. And um, as 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 you've told me before, uh, you know, you got to negate to protect, negate to preserve. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, that has to, that has to be true for us, and we can't be afraid, um, to do that just because there's someone that looks like us or they go to the same whatever, like they live in our neighborhood or whatever. You have to say no, that's not right, right. on any level. We can't stand around and watch police brutality happen. You know, you can't stand around and watch. You know the, <laughs> you know the rise of the Karens who get in people's face and say you need to go back to your country. No,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we can't. We can't just videotape that. You know, somebody mm-hmm. needs to like you know, mush Karen in her face and tell her to get <laughs> the fuck out of there. You know what I mean? And it needs to be everybody in the store. You know, even if you don't beat Karen up, she needs to know that everyone there is taking that kind of stance. That we're not right. taking that shit, Karen. You know, get that shit out of here. You know, um, but it has to be. It has to yeah. be. Has to be that kind of stance. And I also want to say um, that there's work that um, Black people need to do as well. Um, that our focus needs, our focus on a large, to a large degree is, um, is very focused outside of us. Um, and rightly so, you know, we see, you know, we, we see change in, you know, in the, you know, lower right quadrant as, like, that's what where, where we're trying to, right? That's where we see, uh, you know, the problem stemming from, you know, right, social systems need to change. But we have our own stuff going on. You know, we have our own um, internal, you know, cultural and and psychological challenges that we need to address for ourselves. And we need to be left to that work as well. Mm. We also need the psychic energy to be able to do that work. We need to have it not um, drained and focused, you know, so much outside of ourselves that we forget um, that we need to, you know, if we are a traumatized people, which we are, then we need to deal with that trauma you know, and I know there's a, you know, especially in, in the black community, there's, you know, we, we don't like the mention of black on black crime, <clears throat> because, of course, you know, it's not just, you know, that, you know, people kill other people that live close to them or close in proximity. Um, like, we, we, we know that. Um, but the question that I think that we still have for ourselves is, even with You know, black people killing black people, white people killing white people. The question is, do we need to be killing ourselves? Period. You know, regardless of what statistics say, if there's more black on black crime than there is white on black crime or what have you, that um, we need to work on ourselves. This is not who we are. We weren't born this way. This is not our our legacy. Our history does not begin with slavery. You know, our history began at the dawn of time. Right. You know, so this is not this is not who it is that we naturally are, um, but we know that in our own um, in our own communities that there's cultures of violence. You know, we know that in our music there's culture of violence. Um, we have um, uh, all manner of issues that white people have as well: mental health issues, substance abuse issues. Um, we have. Um, uh, sexual trauma that gets swept swept under the rug because we don't talk about it in Black homes. Um, so we, you know, um, we end up holding on to it and, you know, ma- and manifesting in in, uh, in other unhealthy ways. And so we have our own work to do. And um, I think, uh, I think protest has to involve that too, like a pulling away of even being involved in, um, you know, in what's going on in the white world and saying what's going on, in our world, <clears throat> that withdraw is a form of protest too. When when they, when when white America says, "Well, why isn't why aren't black people like you know uh, participating in you know in these right in in, the, in these in these areas in in in, uh, in in regular society, you know they seem to kind of withdraw on themselves. That scares them." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? that scares them. They're like, what are they over there doing? You know, it's like during slavery time, you know, you couldn't gather in groups of like, you know, two or more people. There was like, you're planning something, you're up to something, mm. but we need to be up to something. Mm. You know, that's what we need to be doing, you know? And in my opinion, we need to be doing uh, while we're, while we're asking for things to change, which I'm not a big proponent of. Um, we also need to be demanding our own change um, amongst ourselves. We need to be building our own systems because the truth of the matter is, is that, we are the most, we are one of the most vulnerable next to um, Native Americans. We are, we are vulnerable to whatever happens in America. You know, when the, when the um, political climate and the economic climate is unstable, we are, we are the most impacted. You know, yep. so we need to act as if th- those are realities for us, and we need to create systems that help to protect us while America is doing its fuck shit. You know what I mean? Because it's going to do its own thing and it's not thinking about us. So what are mm. we doing to protect ourselves? You know, what are mm. we doing to strengthen, to strengthen ourselves? But that's our work. And I think the perception is that when black people start to do that, um, white people get nervous and they start to go and, and, they, try and, um, and they try and shut it down. Mm-hmm. you know you look at the black panther party you know and that's primarily what the black panther party was about it was like you know we're not even really yeah yeah black panthers protested they were involved in in the political system but primarily they were feeding children in their neighborhoods they were cre- creating um um medical programs they were educating people in their in their communities um but that was threatening you know J. Edgar hoover you know they were like the greatest they, they were like the greatest threat you know uh, uh, to to the uh, to the nation, when in fact they really were just organizing themselves and educating themselves and mobilizing themselves to be of benefit to themselves. But I promise you, if there was ever a movement as massive as that, um, and again, well, excuse me, if you look at Black Lives Matter, you know the government calls Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I don't see it, you know. Um, but uh, I think when when, when when you have kind of large scale um, organization of black people, uh, uh, America starts to get scared, but that's exactly what we didn't, we need to not care about anymore. You know, we need to not care about that anymore. We need large scale organization of black people, even if it's just to ask or demand for things, there needs to be a central voice needs to be a singular voice that we're not going to, even if, we have, you know, ten different agenda points. You know, it all needs to kind of speak speak from a core, um, but we're not we're not necessarily doing that now. Um, and I think that that's to our detriment. But that's what I think that Black people need to do, and that's the work that I think we need to be left to do, and that's the work that we need to defend. If someone comes and stops us from doing that work, that's yeah. the work that should be defended, because again, we're just trying to acknowledge and recognize and um, and get in touch with our our humanity you know we're not trying there's not a you know a secret black agenda to take over america it 's like we're trying to remember that we're people you know and that we deserve to be treated as people amongst ourselves and and uh, in in the larger um, society so mm. that's that that's what we need to do
0: hmm. that's fucking awesome no i I, I yeah, loved all you. that yeah you you hit you uh mm. <laughs> there's so much to sort of double click in that um Hmm. and I I, so let me just few things that I heard first off I I love that you called out the work that you think white people need to do and a lot of that is around us really for the first time because we haven't been forced to previously to actually confront our own whiteness white people are not we we don't we don't need to (laughs) we're not constantly reminded of that aspect of our identity Right. So a lot of white people, I think, are struggling to find a new language to deal with this. And a lot of that language sounds like, word, you know, you got words like privilege and you know, you a lot of sort of self-effacing language. A lot of, um, you know, sort of uh, humility that we're trying to bring to our own identity, really, for the first time, because it's the first time, I think, in a long time that it's been explicitly challenged. Um, and I appreciate that. I loved hearing about the work we do together. Uh, one of my favorite stories that I heard was... Um, there was a line of protesters and the police were starting to get pretty violent against them or pushing into them. So someone from the back of the line yells out white guard. And then all the white people move to the front of the line so that the police are pushing against them and not the black people and therefore reducing the amount of violence. I'm like, that is, that is just brilliant on like an operational, you know, strategic level. Like that's real coordination. And, mm-hmm. and, and, in turn, and I loved you also talking about the work that, um, not just that black communities need to do, but the work that black communities have been doing for yeah. generations around all this, you know, a couple sure. other perspectives that I heard that were really educational for me is, you know, calling out things like when people say, you know, there's a line that conservatives often repeat, which is while well, 13% of the population is responsible for 50% of the murders. And right. it's like even that frame is so bullshit because what it does in saying that frame that's saying justin you as part of this 13 percent share equal responsibility with everyone else in your group for all these murders no it's 0.001 percent or something like that yeah of black americans are responsible for that amount of of, that's right that's right yeah so even the way these statistics are being presented you know sure. create and then th- that's always that's usually followed up with um oh but why aren't black people talking about this that's always the accusation that follows that that whole We're thing the ones
1: that talking about it. That's, <laughs> right that's the <laughs> <a> response <laughs> that, like right.
0: white people don't know what black people are talking about in their churches and in like the barber right. shops and in their community right. and because yeah, they yeah. don't have right. access to those conversations right for right or if they do they don't
1: know
0: you yeah know? exactly you know But I will say, Justin, that's why it's useful, I think, for our audience to hear you actually explicating, no, these are the conversations that are taking place. And what I really loved about about, um, how you, again, are just inhabiting all this is that you are displaying, from where I'm sitting, the type of leadership that I think a lot of us are hoping to see emerge within this protest culture, but we're not really seeing at all. There's something different about these protest movements, as opposed to the movements we saw in the 1960s, where, I, where we're not seeing that sort of self-organization of leadership rising sure. to the top. And that might be because this is getting organized on decentralized postmodern platforms. We all have sort of this decentralized postmodern um, sort of mindset that we're operating from where there's this sure. distrust of hierarchy. I mean, we're, we're fully green. Yep. Mm-hmm. In terms of how we 're carrying this, and of course, one of the things that made the 1960s protests um, so effective was that there was that, there was that sort of unyielding amber sitting right at the very core that allowed this leadership and also this really I think strong spine um, to emerge and that, My concern is we 're not seeing enough of that, but hearing you talk um, makes me that much less less concerned because I see you bringing in genuine four quadrant leadership you know ken often talks about how the left points to exterior reasons why people suffering and now obviously when we're talking about why do black americans suffer we need to be looking at these systemic reasons obviously but the conservatives point to interior reasons oh it's a matter of values and culture and uh uh having you know uh father figures in the family all that is true too Right. Yep. And as long as we know that there are leaders out there, white leaders, black leaders, you know, whatever, what have you, who are actually displaying this kind of leadership. Yes, the world is stacked against you. And that's why you need to grow even more as a human being so that you can rise to that challenge and and, and leap over that bar so that we can pull the rest of us up as as a society and as a culture um i think that's the level of leadership that people are waiting for and we're not we're certainly not seeing it you know coming from the republicans right now we're not even really seeing it coming from the left because the left is so decentralized and you know there's no one a leftist hates more than another leftist right
1: right you know and some people even say that america really doesn't have a left you know it's not a
0: that's at least
1: not a, right. not, a, not a not a solid not a solid sense of a left right yeah
0: mm-hmm. fascinating you know, totally fascinating hmm. and um you know there's any number of other kind of directions we can go here i just well, want to a highlight a
2: couple of just like i'm creating Please like do. just like constant reminders some of the things just that you said that you know in doing my own work that's been i feel like helpful or that i've been noticing especially lately like again can't highlight how how obvious it is that on a daily basis i don't get forced reminders of racism that's different mm-hmm. you know and, and therefore it's easy for me to let that recede in the background of my experience right mm-hmm. if we have more and more i'm so thankful for things like youtube and videos because for example that scene in just mercy where he's arrested by the cop there was nobody around filming anything what was he going to zero hope it already feels hopeless when i watch a video on youtube and there's a bunch of people standing around and well yeah, gonna die anyways so like mm-hmm. we have some reminders but like there's some part of me that's like i gotta keep taking in and reminding so it will fuel that that heartbreak like to continually bring it up again so that like i don't lose awareness of it yeah. um and then also you said something about like that everybody needs to get a little bit more militant you know like mm-hmm. i think you mentioned something about people Yeah, getting in, mushing in Karen's face.
1: That's right.
2: (laughs) I So like, I haven't been put in a position like that yet, or I haven't witnessed something like that, uh, you know, like George Floyd or Karen. But when I was reading over the story and I'm like eight fucking minutes, like, I I I can't say what would happen, but I feel like I would have been arrested, like minimally, because I'm just like, I couldn't, maybe I would have tolerated, unfortunately, two minutes, three minutes, but I'm like eight minutes. You know, yeah. it's just like, how are we all not getting arrested? So like, again, I can't sure. say, I hope that I would, yeah. I, I don't know. But the, the, I think that when you said that, I'm like, yeah, I think we do have to get military. We can't just be all sitting around like, well, gosh, we're, we're what are we the clock keepers yeah. for somebody's yeah. death? Like,
1: yeah. How and I not... think if you ask most people what their hearts were feeling in that moment, they probably yeah. would have said, I felt like I should have done something. Yeah. Right but i don't legitimize to me that's violence or to me that's standing up against the police and that's been deemed as illegitimate right mm-hmm. that's illegitimate to me because and and i don't make <laughs> unfortunately yeah. i don't feel like i have the right to determine what's legitimate versus illegitimate uh-huh. you know i've deferred all of that over to to someone else but when you do that there's no real way to protect yourself or protect other people it's always mm-hmm. Someone who's always going to be the one in the in the in the in the seat that says, you know, this is when you can be violent. This is when you can't be violent. This is who you can be violent towards. This is who you can't be violent towards. Yeah. You know, but I question. I think that most people watching that wanted to jump through their screen and just yeah. and, and do, or were screaming at the people around around uh, George Floyd, like, do something, do something, yeah. please. Um, but again, there's the of course there's the fear of, of physical violence. Yes. Um <clears throat> Um, but then I think there's also the fear of kind of going beyond that you know what is it I don't know what we've been taught like we've been taught that again that, uh, the word that keeps coming up for me is legitimacy we, we've been yes, yeah. right. we, we've been taught that there are authority figures and the authority figures are correct um, and then there's consequences you can go to jail and so on and so forth yeah. um, but that's to me that's what needs to that we need yeah. to go beyond
2: that point yeah yeah i'm with you and like i said i don't know maybe put in the situation maybe i would have chickened out maybe i would have but like that was the feeling man. i'm like i'm with i'm i'm agreeing with you in this moment that like we, we got to change like we can't accept the narrative there it's just like well that's bullshit that's happening there and yeah maybe we're going to get arrested along with them you know uh, with but whatever like at one point where we're going to say our morality I'll put the line in the sand and being like no this is not okay i don't care what the system says you know? sure and I don't know, there's
0: always that risk of, uh, of, of, what do they call it, bypasser syndrome, I think, mm-hmm. where there's all these right. studies showing that, you know, I mean, a woman can get, you know, like, <clears throat> physically, sexually assaulted in public, and study after study show that people are always going to be expecting someone else to call the police. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right. Someone else is going to call the authority someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be me. I don't need to get my skin in the game um yeah. in fact i'd kind of prefer not i'll just hold the video camera um, well
2: a- another thing justin you said that i think i've i'm my experience uh, with myself being white and other white people that is probably it's a fortunate and unfortunate thing that like it's probably taken enough systems failing that affect all of us to where i feel like this time with these protests i felt that there was there's something different about them that i've experienced at least in my lifetime where enough people are fed up with enough systems being broken that maybe there's some unity that can happen, which sure. I th- is fortunate, but it's unfortunate that in, in, in fighting racism that that for white folks, that's what it's gonna take, like enough systems <laughs> breaking down yes. that we're tired of that like, okay, now mm-hmm. we're gonna join up. But sure. I'm, I'm hoping that that's the case where there's a momentum with it that we're all gonna just be like so tired of the systems, the leaders that we can sure. join together and, and tackle yes. multiple issues. Yes
1: as, as am I. And, and I feel like, see, so again, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's, I think this is a two-sided thing. Um, you know, there's been the perception that when white people show up to the protests, um, that, uh, either they're there just being performative or, mm-hmm. um, they're there just to create, you know, chaos or destruction. Um, there's no discernment between, you know, um, Uh, white people causing random destruction and white people destroying um, property associated with the state. Um, But there's work, again, I think on, on, on black people's end, um, where we have to understand that, like, even, you know, if, if you look at the civil rights movement, or you look at even the black power movement, the black power movement was not just Fueled by black people, there were great panthers, pink panthers, brown panthers, red mm. panthers, white panthers, mm. right? Um, because the the commonality was again was there um, was there humanity, you know, it was saying that we, you know, we all are oppressed. Poor poor white people are oppressed, maybe in a different way that it may manifest itself differently from, you know, how how it uh, affects um, uh, Latinos or how it affects, you know, um, black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that if we can kind of all um, see uh, see the the mutuality, the the, the interconnectedness of um, of our issues, um, that we mm-hmm. yes we all can stand up at this moment and say, look, we can get all these things yes. addressed. We can get all of our yes. all of our issues addressed. But yes. part of it is is that we have so much distrust, <laughs> yeah, and rightly so. <laughs> There's yeah. so much distrust of of white actors or white agents right Agent yeah. provocateurs coming in and screwing right. stuff up that it's like, nope, we got to keep this, you know, mm-hmm. we got to keep this separate. Well, then that keeps conversation separate, that keeps support separate. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that there are, you know, um, white people out there with righteous intentions, you know, and mm-hmm. at the very least deserve to be heard. You know, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, but my, my hope is, is that, you know, we don't get black people don't get so, um, insulated and, and caught up in our own um, self protection that we don't see um, our, our mutual interests um, with with all different kinds of people.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Again, I think it's the only way we actually heal collectively from this trauma. Sure. Because it's because it's a shared trauma um, that's mm-hmm. been visiting for generations, and obviously white people have been on sort of the the happier side of that trauma. Um, but that's not to say you know it doesn't create. Uh, confusion and paralysis and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it exacerbates the problem. So, um, you know, trying to find this mutuality where again, the result, the resentment culture and the guilt culture can sort of begin to reconcile themselves, um, Mm -hmm. for the greater good is, is, is -hmm. going to be huge. And I'm just, I'm so heartened that we can have conversations like this, man, you know, um, that are just real, that are honest, um, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's <laughs> trying to pull punches or spare anyone's feelings. We're just saying, you know, this is, this yeah, is yeah. the work that needs to be done. yeah. And uh, we're looking to each other to do it. And, um, yeah. you know, it's a beautiful thing mm. and a painful thing. And it seems like everything is, is sort of right on schedule. And, you know, and I think that there's an aspect of this too, um, you know, when we're talking about, you know, why now, why is this all erupting now? And obviously media, has such a, a, a huge influence on You know, Will Smith recently said, and it's been kind of controversial, but he recently said uh, that he doesn't think racism has gotten any worse. It's just being videotaped. Yeah. And um, I thought that that was actually... Um, encouraging in a lot of ways. I I actually thought that was really encouraging. A, because the more it gets videotaped, the more this actually comes to the surface, right? This is a problem that um, isn't necessarily growing worse. I mean, we could make a lot of cases for how things have really gotten, at least in the lower right quadrant, have gotten better over the last 50 years. But the lower left quadrant's been left largely untouched. And so therefore, um, we're still seeing inequities in the lower right as a result but there has been real progress but what hasn't really progressed is people's mentalities and in fact i think one of the things that we've seen over the last 50 years is the breakdown of the conveyor belt that would traditionally pull people out of racist ideas and views and ideologies right because i think as integralists we can probably all agree there's no real cure quote unquote for racism because it's literally a developmental level that all human beings go through. Now there's healthy versions of ethnocentricity and unhealthy versions of ethnocentricity. And hopefully we have structures in place that are guiding people towards healthy expressions and then out of that into more universal expressions. But we know from a developmental point of view, bias is always gonna be there. Prejudice is always gonna be there. Some degree of ethnocentric racism, sexism, etc., is always gonna be there. And the only solution to that is to fix the damn conveyor belt so that A, people have access to healthy Amber systems where they can cultivate healthy Amber values, which we should say is a point that Ken made about 20 years ago, liberal culture has pretty much pulled out from black communities. Liberal culture has actually attacked Amber institutions. And I don't think anyone has felt that pain more than black communities. I think in boomeritis, Ken pointed out, there's three major ways that, um, that, most Black Americans are able to experience amber in a healthy way. Right now, it's sports, uh, the military, and religion. Those are the those are the sort of the three paths that African Americans have to a strong amber sort of uh, community. Because so much of the amber structures have been dissolved by green over the last 40 or 50 years. The irony is is this has made racism worse. This has made us drift further apart from each other and isolate each other and sort of um, silo ourselves culturally. Um, And I think now we're, we're, you know, I think we're starting to see a a new confluence largely because of the power of cell phones, being able to record video wherever Mm. we are and record injustice wherever we are. And, you know, that's what got white people interested in the civil rights movement it wasn't just hearing about these things mm-hmm. in the headlines it Was seeing pictures yeah. of black americans getting hosed down and attacked by dogs you know what i mean that's what got like moderate white people to be like this is and i think that's what got mitt romney out there protesting which um feels to me kind of seismic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. someone mentioned yeah he's he's uh he's he's still trying to defund social security well yeah he's still a fucking republican <laughs> the point is this problem has gotten to the point where mitt romney is 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 uh adding his voice and support and that's i think to be acknowledged sure well anything else guys did we fix racism or did we uh
1: it's done it's over it's a wrap done <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: what a relief outside. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me say one thing, and Justin, this is something I've said to you sort of privately in our, in our phone conversations, but the one piece of structural racism that I think still exists at integral levels that I want to call out, and I want to do better at, and I want you guys to help me do better at, is um, the fact that we tend to only have you guys, our black integral friends, on to talk sure. about black. In- sure. That's a pattern that I've noticed for years, you know, uh, we had Mark Palmer on last Sunday and I love Mark, you know, um, Mark's an amazing human being. And it was his first time being on the show since 2003, when he was right. on to talk to Ken about guess what, race and racism. Right. Um, so I think that this is an area where uh, we integralists can can do better. Um, So I want you to know, Justin, that you've got a fucking open invitation to the show. But anytime you want to come on to talk about anything, I'd love to have you back. Um,
1: I I, I appreciate it. I think that um, part of being an integralist or at least being a black integralist is knowing the benefit of sitting at kind of these crossroads where, you know, you can there's almost a responsibility that I feel of bringing integral into the black world and bringing the, bringing the black world into the world of, of integral. Um, Mm. because I don't really know, you know, um, I know that, you know, maybe people stumble on to, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe like, maybe it'd be like me, you know, um, I I found Ken Wilbur, uh, uh, he we use this textbook a professor used his textbook uh, uses one of his books as a textbook for one of my classes in undergrad and mm. that's how i found ken Wilber. but i don't know how many people that's going to happen for mm. um but I, I think that um integral uh, has helped me and has helped a lot of people that i that i've interacted with and that i work with in my practice um just to be, help to kind of synthesize information better and understand um development um Kind of understand the fullness of life understanding where we need to show up um and then you know me being here you know um you know i know that you know there's not uh, there's not too many of us and you know we don't want to be pigeonholed as just you know people come on here and talk about race but the integral world is like super white you know <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's it's super white it's global and, um, and
0: globally white
1: yep global and globally white and um and so I do find that there's, you know, hopefully some benefit and, you know, and, and people like me and, and Mark Palmer showing up and, and talking about it. But of course, I mean, we're both dynamic people, so it's not the only thing that we can talk about and, um, or that I spent, I don't spend all my days talking about this, um, but, um. I would love to come back and talk about all manner of things, but um, I, I don't shy away from the feeling of the responsibility of being able to um, have to figure out how to navigate um, these spaces and navigate these discussions. Because even though I think it's white people's work to um, to, to, to root out racism, um, I do think there are going to be black voices um, and black, like people present um, in order to you know help to kind of you know add some either nuance or um, reality of <laughs> so from reality to, um, uh, to, to 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 their experience um, so no, I most definitely will come back and talk about all manner of things, um but I would love to also come back and have more conversations about race and.
0: Beautiful. Um, because this Um, helps me too yeah yeah no no, it's fantastic and you know just the final point i make is that um it's something i mentioned uh in our show this last sunday was that i think for a lot of integralists, part of that developmental privilege is having this attitude that like oh racism that's just something that kind of naturally takes care of itself when people grow from amber to orange that's a problem that's back there somewhere and actually it's a full spectrum problem Um, that because we're all living in a full spectrum society and some of us unfortunately have more reminders on a daily basis of our ethnocentric identity than others do. So I think that part of that developmental privilege is being able to sort of take that for granted um, and to sort of lose track of the fact that no, addressing race and racism uh, and the traumas that were inflicted by unhealthy Amber is an orange project, it's a green project. And yes, it's a teal and turquoise project. It's a project that continues itself stage by stage into the future until we reach uh, you know, something resembling uh, equity, equality in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very genuine way. Um, so we're, we, we very much are all in this together, sort of up and down the spiral. The nice thing about the altitudes is we can use other colors other than black and white and red, right? right. <laughs> you talk about amber Americans and orange Americans and green Americans and, you know. Um,
1: Those damn green Americans.
0: Those damn green Americans.
1: But thank you for having me, both of you. Um, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah,
0: thank you so much.
1: Thank you for yeah, the opportunity.
2: You, man. Yeah, this
0: has, been, this has been a great show. And um, I'm sure that we're going to, Uh, get some feedback so guys anyone who's watching please let you know let us know what you think Um, we want to pick up the conversation again in the future Uh, so yeah write your comments right down there either wherever you see this video on YouTube or on Integral Life or what have you Uh, and we will collect those comments and hopefully address them in a future episode because this is definitely just the beginning of a conversation thank you so much for your time thanks so much Justin for being here good to meet you man yeah likewise Justin, love you, buddy. Ryan, love you, love man. You. Hey, man, love you. And uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Okay. All right,
2: Bye. man, take it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.